0: Well, good morning. I think God deserves a round of applause. Amen. All right, thank you, my brother. Tell you, it's been a great day, and I know it's going to be a great morning this morning. Have you ever had one of those days where everything goes wrong? I've had it this morning. Not had it with you, but I've had it this morning. I was uh, my none of my computers would work. I'm tearing up the table, look at that, I'm telling you, it's been one of those days. Then we were coming on the way over here, and there was a major traffic jam. We were stuck in a parking lot for 40 minutes, and I'm trying to get hold of Caleb to let him know I'm going to be running late, and uh, then my computer wouldn't start up, and uh, Jim and I figured it out, I was using the wrong password. So I couldn't get the PowerPoint to the team up there. Couldn't get my computer on this morning for all the stuff that I had, so everything I was trying to do today was just royally fouling up. So God is here, amen? The devil is defeated, and that's why he's upset. He's trying his best this morning to really, really mess things up. Well, I'm excited to be here today. Uh, Jim, I need your help. I want to give a prize away this morning, and I'm going to let you do, be the one to give it away, okay? You're paying for it. Who came the farthest this, this morning to hear me preach? My cousin. They came all the way from Fresno, California. So, Jim, you can give them their prize at the end of the service, okay? All right. Thank you so much. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to first corinthians chapter 15 so some of you know me some of you don't so let me tell you a little bit about me that i actually work in the final expense insurance field my job is to go out help people find out what their needs are Are they going to be buried are they going to be cremated And then help them to get something that enables them to take care of that, to protect their family, and to get everything in order so that on the worst day of their lives, or their family's lives, everything is already in place and ready to go. One of the things I have to say about the work that I'm in is it's recession-proof. It's COVID-proof. I mean, there is nothing that stops death, and people still need insurance. So my business has continued to grow, it's continued to go even in the midst of all of this stuff. But I am worried because there is one event that is going to ruin my industry. There is one event that is going to ruin my industry, it's not a recession, it's not Joe Biden, it's not cryonics, and it's not environmental policies. There's one thing that's going to ruin the cremation business the funeral business, the final expense business, the cemetery business, and everything else, and that is the bodily resurrection of the believer. It is the bodily resurrection of the believer. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that is exactly what Paul is going to talk to us about. Now, we just got through with Easter just a couple of weeks ago, and what a great celebration it was. And Paul celebrates that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. He says, now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you. Verse 3, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. So whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so... You believed. So Paul begins with this resurrection truth that Jesus Christ really was raised from the dead. Amen. I was uh, visiting with a client this last week and we were talking about death and uh, I was talking about why this is important and I said, no one has, and he said to me, he said to me, no one has ever come out of the grave. And I said, oh yes, there is. His name is Jesus Christ. He came out of the grave and he said to me, well, no one ever saw him. And I said, oh, yes, they did. Paul just told us over 500 people saw Jesus Christ at different times and different occasions. And we know that all of them, most of them, lost their lives because they believed, they confessed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some would say, well, it was an aberration. They just saw ghosts. It says 500 saw him at one time. And then he goes on to say, and most of them are still alive. So if you want to go and interview them, you still can. They were still around and they would testify even to the point of losing their lives. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely certain. But what are the ramifications of the resurrection? Now, we know it's salvation, right? It's kind of like that little Sunday school teacher that was teaching a little boy's class and said to the little boy's class, what's furry? Brown, has a furry tail, likes to eat nuts. And the little boy piped up and said, it sure sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. <laughs> so so uh, we know the answer is salvation. But what I want you to see this morning is it's so much more than that. There is so much more than the fact that we're just going to be saved and that we're going to be forgiven. It is because Christ was bodily raised from the dead that all believers, let me say it again, all believers, one more time, all believers will be bodily raised from the dead. Now, Corinthians had problems there was all these issues that were going on in the church and so Paul is having to write this letter to them and one of the issues were they didn't deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ but they were saying well there, there's no resurrection bodily he said look at verse 12 now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead the message says it this way Now let me ask you something profound, yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say that there is no such thing as the resurrection of the believer? Because Christ was bodily raised from the dead, the scriptures teach that we are going to be bodily raised from the dead. Now, you go onto the campus, Of Ohio State and you say that there is going to be a bodily resurrection of believers they will laugh you off the campus they will mock you and they will scorn you because in their minds this is absolutely nonsense And I listed in your notes, by the way, and you ought to grab your notes this morning, some of the more common views of what people believe is going to happen. One is soul sleep, that the body is just going to disintegrate, and we're just going to wait there. Then there's annihilation, which says nothing of the human soul, body, or anything survives after death. When we die, that's it. That's the common view of the atheist or the agnostic reincarnation Buddhism Hinduism that we die and go through a cycle of deaths and and births and if we keep on doing the right things eventually we'll reach the ultimate state dualism which is still practiced or believed today and was popular in Paul's day that the body is horrible and terrible the soul is wonderful when you die the body is gone there's no body all there is is just the soul And then even absorption, which is popular really today, especially in the environmental movement, that the spirit just returns to its source. It returns to nature. The problem in every single one of those viewpoints, every single one of those philosophies of life after death, did you notice something? Human personhood and individuality is completely lost. So what does the New Testament teach? Well, the New Testament, as I've already said, teaches that all believers will be resurrected at the coming of Jesus Christ. Are you all awake? All believers will be raised at the return of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I thought I was preaching at the Methodists. Look at what Paul says verse 51 chapter 15 behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead in christ will be raised and imperishable and we shall be changed So we're going to do this morning in our time remaining, and you're going to need to grab your notes, your Bible, your pen, and you're going to have to write fast this morning as we're going to take a whirlwind tour of the bodily resurrection of the believer, the implication of what we celebrated only a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and because he was raised from the dead, we also will be raised with him. First of all, I want you to see that the bodily resurrection of the believer will be a a guaranteed event it will be a guaranteed event now I already noted with you this morning that there were some people in Corinth that were teaching that there is no bodily resurrection of the believer and Paul responds by saying that that's not congruent with scripture and faith and then he tells us why why there must be a resurrection, why it is guaranteed for every believer. First of all, it's guaranteed event because Christianity is linked to it. Paul kind of plays a what if game, if you'll go to the next screen there. He says in verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not raised from the dead. Verse 13, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then we don't have a message. Verse 14, our preaching is in vain. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then our faith is useless. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Then verse 15, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then we are all liars. He says, we are even found, verse 15, to be misrepresenting God. If there's no bodily resurrection of the believer, no resurrection of Jesus, then we are lying on behalf of God telling the world that it's going to happen. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then we are still lost in our sin. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, we're still lost. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then we have no hope after life. It says, then those who have fallen and is asleep in Christ, they have perished. Have you ever thought about what the difference is between Christianity and every other religion or paganism? It's hope. When we go to a funeral service and we see that person that is a believer, we know that's not really them, amen? amen. That's not the end of it. That's not all there is. That's not the last time. We're saying goodbye to them in terms of their earthly presence, but they are not lost. We know where they are, amen? They are in heaven. And so Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, we have no hope after death. And then he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christians are the biggest idiots fools in the world look at verse 19 if in Christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied there are a lot of people that'll look at us today as Christians and they'll just shake their heads at us and go poor things you poor idiots you still believe that religion junk you still believe that bible stuff we have science today Science has enlightened us. We have philosophy. We have uh, all of our digital presence that tells us all of these facts. And you still believe in that ancient religion, you poor, poor thing. And Paul says, if there's no resurrection of Christ and there's no bodily resurrection of the believer, then they're right. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the believer are inextricably intertwined with one another. They cannot be separated. Christianity cannot be separated from it. But then I want you to see it is a guaranteed event because Christ is linked to it. We've already alluded to verses 1 through 12 about the resurrection. I don't have time to talk to you about that. But I just want you to see in verses 20 and 23, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. There are those that are saying there's no resurrection. He says, Yes, there is. But then he goes on to say, He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then in his coming, those who belong to Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is because Christ was raised from the dead, he is the firstfruits he is the first of many more to come so there will be a resurrection of the believers but then I love this because he goes on and takes it a step further he says because Christ was raised from the dead and there will be a resurrection of the believers he says in verses 24 through 28 that there will also be the restoration of creation Look what he says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put into subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That, here it is, God may be all in all. What is Paul saying here? There is going to be a restoration of creation. Creation. Now, the radical environmentalists have their plan. Here's how we're going to save the world. Here's how we're going to save our planet. It's doomed. There's going to be global warming. There's going to be an ice age. There's going to be a meteor that's going to strike us. And they try to put together these plans, you know, that we've got to stop making a carbon footprint. So they get in their big jets and fly all around the world to tell us we need to quit making carbon footsteps while they're making carbon footsteps. But I'm here to tell you, my friends, that all of their plans are nothing but hoaxes. Because God is in control, not science. God is in control of the environment. And one day, Christ is going to restore it all back to its pristine state. And to the chagrin of the liberals... And to the chagrin of all the environmentalists, it will be so that you and I as resurrected believers may enjoy every single part of it. Now I know the environmentalists tell us that man is to blame. And they're right. But it's not because, it's not because we're driving our cars. It's not because we are breathing the wrong way, and it's not because cow farts. (laughs) Let me tell you the reason why our environment is being destroyed. You ready? It is man's fault because we rebelled against God. But see, we don't want to go there because that means we have to admit that we're sinners. It's easy to say, hey, it's because of Carbons it's because of fossil fuel. It's because we're greedy. It's because of our pollution folks It's it's deeper than that. It is the fact that we are in rebellion against God and until we get back into a right relationship with God creation will moan and groan and struggle and suffer under the weight of our rebellion But Romans chapter 8 says that he's going to restore it all First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24 says, he is going to restore it all. George Zimmerman of the men's warehouse used to say, you're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Well, folks, I want you to know the resurrection of uh, the believer is going to take place and I guarantee it. But second of all, The bodily resurrection of the believer will be a glorious event. It is a glorious event because of what is going to happen to us. In theological terms, it's what we call the glorification of the believer. Write that down. It's the glorification of the believer. But people will ask, well, how in the world is that going to happen? It's one thing to say that Christ was raised from the dead. But, but how are literally millions of people going to be raised from the dead? How can every single believer be raised from the dead? Well, Paul asked that very question. Because someone is asking in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? In other words, the people in Paul's day the, the ones that were right there near the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they could not understand how there could be a bodily resurrection of the believer. The message says it this way. Some skeptic is sure to say, show me how the resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Give me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? And Paul says, okay, get me a dry erase board. And I'm going to draw you a picture of the resurrection body and what it's going to be like. So strap on your boots, here we go. First of all, I want you to see that our resurrection bodies will be personal. Our resurrection bodies will be personal. Look at verse 36, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen into each kind of seed its own bodies. Now these verses are pregnant with truth and I wish we had more time to unpack it. But if you think about a corn seed, let's use that. You take that corn seed and you plant it in the ground, what comes up looks very different than what you put in the ground, Amen right it looks nothing like it but all the life of what you eventually saw is embedded in that little seed the DNA of that future corn stalk is all embedded in that little seed even in its particular form and so what Paul is saying here is that it has already been embedded us our DNA who we are and when we're raised from the dead our earthly bodies will be transformed and changed but it will still be us it will still be us jesus still had his own body but it was a different body amen it was a resurrection body but it was his body they were able to recognize him that's why it's going to be so awesome when we get into heaven they're going to have a different body but guess what we're going to be look at him go i know you I know you. Jim, you look better here than you did down on earth. (laughs) Look, turn turn to your neighbor and say to him, I'm gonna see you again and I'm gonna recognize you. Turn to your neighbor and say that. You're gonna see him again. It's not this idea of reincarnation where we come back as dogs and cats and cows and rats and all these other things. We're gonna be raised with our new resurrection body. We live on, but our resurrected body. But second of all, our resurrection bodies will be distinct. For not all flesh is the same, verse 39, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies, there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the star. For stars differ from star in glory. What is he saying here? A resurrection body will be a distinct body. It will be perfectly suited for the new heaven and the new earth. This current earthly earth suit that I'm wearing right now this morning, as handsome and beautiful as it is, (laughs) is not suited for that environment. It would be like if you took me on that Mars spaceship and you dropped me on mars and said live i couldn't live because this current suit is not suited to live on mars so we'll be in the resurrection we'll have a distinct body but then i want you to see our resurrection bodies will be imperishable verse 30 uh, 42 so it is with the resurrection of the dead what is sown is perishable but what is raised is imperishable our earthly bodies are subject to decay, deterioration, decomposition. One of the things I talk to my clients about, they can buy a vault. They can buy a vault that they can stick their casket in. And it's a sealed vault. And you can get a steel-lined vault that is guaranteed for life. How are you going to know if the guarantee held up? hey, I want to dig their grave out. I want to see if it held up because I want to get my money back right. Let me tell you something. There is no vault. There's no casket. There's nothing that is going to preserve you from the effects of death. We are perishing. But I want you to know our resurrection bodies will never experience the stuff of our earthly bodies. No disease, no aging. No more sagging chins. No more memory loss. No more uh, uh, calcium deficiencies. No more heart attacks. No more being tired. No more high cholesterol. No more losing our hair. Hallelujah. No more chemotherapy. No more diabetes. No more doctors. No more masks. No more COVID 19. It's all going to be gone. That's a hallelujah moment. Amen? And our resurrection bodies, then fourth of all, will be glorious. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Every one of us born on this planet Earth is born in sin. Amen? I was conceived in iniquity in my mother's womb. We have the seed of Adam, and we were born in dishonor. We were created, though, to honor God, but we have dishonored him. But in the resurrection, we will be raised in honor and glory for all of eternity. We will be perfectly pleasing and honoring to God, and God will enjoy us. God will enjoy our presence. God will enjoy our body. It will be a glorious time. But then fifth of all, our resurrection bodies will be powerful. It is sown in weakness, that is the earthly body, but it is raised in power. Our earthly body is weak. I've watched those big hulks of guys playing on the football field, the gladiators of our day, as they charge down the field and somebody hits them beneath the knee and they go down and they can't get up anymore. They're powerless. But I'm here to tell you, the resurrection body will not be weak. We will have a kind of body that is powerful unlike anything we've ever experienced before. Our resurrection bodies will be spiritual, verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. That is, we're going to receive a new body that will be supernatural, spirit-dominated, and sin-free. It's going to be able to go places that we've never gone before, and we won't need Star Trek. Our resurrection bodies, but here's the one I want you to see, will be identical. This is the good part. Verse 45 through 49, thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second, Jesus Christ man, is from heaven. As was the dust of man of dust, so also are those of dust, like you and I. And as is the man of heaven, so... Also, are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Do you know what that's saying? We're going to be identical to Jesus. We're going to have identical bodies to Him. We're going to be the spitting image of Jesus. Hallelujah. Spitting image. Adam was the prototype of our earthly bodies. Christ is the prototype of our heavenly bodies. I am here to tell you that the bodily resurrection of the believer will be a glorious event. Can you say wow? Wow. Say it backwards. (laughs) It's going to be a glorious thing. But then I want you to see finally that the resurrection of the believer will be a grand event it's going to be a grand event. Now this doesn't get you dancing. You need to go to Fred Astaire's dance class. Because when is all this going to take place? When is all this going to happen? Paul tells us it will be one of the grandest events since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is the return of Jesus Christ to raise all believers and he tells us about this grand event he tells us first of all that we're going to be taken verse 50 through 52a i tell you brothers paul must have been a black preacher i tell you brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Amen. Is that all I get out of you on that one? Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, Methodist, speak up. <laughs> I'm here to tell you we're going to be taken during the civil war there was a the the confederate soldiers were laying out in the fields in their blankets and during the night a snowfall came and they were covered and in the morning reverently was sounded and all these guys came up out of their snowy graves one day there's going to be a heavenly trumpet and we're all going to come up out of our graves It's going to be a grand event, unlike anything that we have ever seen. And then second of all, we will be transformed. Look at this, verse 51, 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, underscore that, in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Paul says that our transformation will be so fast, you won't even know that it happened. Notice he says, in a moment, it is the Greek word from which we get our word atomos, or the atom. It refers to the smallest conceivable quantity in the smallest amount of time. And then he says, in the twinkling of an eye. The twinkling of an eye is not referring to the blink. The twinkling of an eye is the time it takes for light to go from the iris to the retina. And scientists have measured this. And they have calculated that it takes one-sixteenth of a nanosecond. One-sixteenth of a nanosecond for light to get from the iris back to the retina. Well, how much is a nanosecond? Are you ready for this? A nanosecond is one-billionth of a second. Can you put your mind around that? So what he says here, we're going to be transformed in less than one-sixteenth of a billionth of a second. That's how fast this thing is going to be. Evolution says it takes millions and billions of years for earth and the universe to emerge. God says it will be in a moment. In a moment. Take that evolution and go smoke it in your pipe. Cancer in your body, boom, gone. Dementia, boom, gone. Overweight, boom, gone. Depression, boom, gone. Diabetes, boom, gone. COVID 19, boom, gone. Arthritis, boom, gone. Quicker than I could even clap my hands this morning, it'll all be changed. We will be transformed. Won't that be incredible? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's going to be incredible. Man, something ought to be stirring in your heart this morning. We're going to be raised from the dead, but then I want you to see finally that we will be triumphant. He says in verse fifty-four, "When the imperishable puts on the perishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory." Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. We're going to be triumphant over death, and we're going to be triumphant over sin. You ain't going to need no insurance salesmen. Hallelujah. ain't going to be no funeral homes. There ain't going to be no morticians. There ain't going to be no crematories. Death has been defeated. Just as death thinks that it has nailed the coffin shut, the resurrection of Jesus Christ bursts those nails right out of the coffin. And we will be triumphant over sin. The resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees the glorious and grand event of our life resurrection. In the words of the great old gospel song, there ain't no grave that can hold my body down. There ain't no grave that can hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to rise up out of the ground. There ain't no grave going to hold this body down. Can I get a yahoo? Can I get a yay, God? Yay, God. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah? We're going to be raised from the dead. So, what does that mean for all of us? I say, okay, Kent, that's coming. So, what does that mean for us as believers? Well, Paul winds up in verse fifty-eight and says this: Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What does it mean for us? It means, first of all, that we must stay faithful and focused. Because it's coming. And please understand something, folks. I've been studying prophecy. There's nothing that has to happen before Jesus returns for the rapture. The signs in Revelation refer to his second coming, which follows the resurrection. But as far as the rapture, I'm here to tell you it could happen today. So Paul says, what do we do? we got to stay faithful and focused, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Why is it not in vain? Because we're going to be raised from the dead. But what does it mean, the bodily resurrection, mean for unbelievers? Does it mean they just annihilate, they die? Is that what's going to happen to them? Oh, no. Did you know there is a resurrection of the unbeliever? Mm Mm-hmm. Sure is. It happens at the second coming. Turn your Bibles real quick, and we'll close with this. Revelation chapter 20. There is going to be another resurrection. But this is not going to be the glorious event of the bodily resurrection of the believer. It is going to be the tragic resurrection of the unsaved dead. Verse 20, verse 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away. There was no place to be found for them. In other words, there's no place you can hide from God. And I saw the dead great, excuse me, I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books. And look what it says. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were each judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The final resting place of the wicked, the ungodly. This is the second death. We only experience one death. They experience a second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let me tell you something, my friend. If you're an unbeliever, if you go to the next screen, you need to repent and believe today. Because there's going to be a resurrection. If you're here today, and you don't know for certain that if Jesus Christ were returned this morning, by the end of this service, by the end of this day, if you don't know for certain that if death came knocking at your door as you drove home and were in a fatal car accident, or your heart stopped beating in the darkness of the night, and you don't know for certain if that were to happen, if you would go to heaven, Don't sit there and say, well, I'll figure it out later. Make that decision now. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. I want you to be a part of this glorious, grand, guaranteed event of the resurrection of the believer. I want to see you in heaven. So if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you this morning right now where you are to join me in this prayer it's not a magical formula it's not something that uh, God sent down a stone from heaven it's just a way to tell God what you would want him to do in your life this morning pray it with me if you're lost this morning you don't know you're going to heaven Lord Jesus pray it I am that corrupt rebellious Sinner. I have the one that has made a mess of my life, of my world, and dishonored you. But today, I recognize and believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross for my sins and was raised from the dead for my victory i receive you lord jesus into my heart as my lord and savior take control of my life and make me the person you want me to be if you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it welcome to the family Now you too can look forward to the resurrection of the believer. But Maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer and life has been discouraging and it comes to all of us. I want you to look beyond the mountains, beyond the hills to where your strength comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth who is returning again and is going to change me in the twinkling of an eye, in the blink of a moment, I will be changed. And I'm going to be a part of his glorious kingdom forever and ever and ever in a resurrected body. How can I not stay faithful and focused? You can pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, thank you for the resurrection, for your resurrection, for my resurrection. Until that time comes, I will stay focused on you, faithful to the task. Lord, we thank you for your word and pray this morning that you have been honored in Jesus' name man.